Good morning and welcome to the Robin Report. I'm your host, Elliot Robin, so get ready to get triggered. Good morning and welcome to The Robin Report. I'm your host, Elliot Robin, and with me is my expert panel, as always, Amara, Samuel, and Jessica. How are you guys? Sick. (laughs) Tired. Great. (laughs) Great. Well, at least we got a mix of emotions today, as we all like it. Sorry to hear that you're uh, sick, Jessica, Um, but you are a trooper for being on the show. Um... We haven't had to have any replacements this season, which is awesome. Any guests, whatnot. Um, but let's get to the show. To begin, all opinions expressed are not those of Ryerson or Ryerson faculty and are only those of the individual commentators. Viewer discretion is advised. Let's start with our recap of the week. We're going to start uh, in Toronto with U of T in the center of controversy once more, uh, denying Jewish people or Jewish students uh, kosher food, because according to them, uh, it goes against the will of their members. So this is once again a case of conflating Israel with uh, the the government with its people. Um, How do you feel, guys? I mean, I think I think Jews should be allowed to eat food that they that if they're observant Jews, they should be allowed to eat kosher food. So I don't the issue isn't necessarily that um, they're saying that kosher food is not allowed on campus. It's U of T's like cafeteria, right? If I'm not mistaken, serving kosher food. So I think, um, I don't know if I would say that people have a right to have uh, their dietary preferences, like not preferences, um, restrictions, I guess, observed. Like if you were vegan, I don't necessarily think that you should complain that there's not vegan food. Or if you're Muslim and have to eat halal food, I think... Um, I, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily the responsibility of. UFT. Yeah, but it, it comes down to the reasoning. The reasoning well, I think, is that I don't think the because, conversation should be about that. But well, yeah. that's what it's become, right? And it's not even up to the student union to declare what food should be kosher or not. Ryerson just got kosher food, right? And again, it's not necessarily the university. You're right. The university's job to provide um, all meal options for everybody. But when the conversation turns to, well, the group is pro-Israel. That's why Jews can't have proper food. Well, I, I just think that's ridiculous. Like, it, yeah. it doesn't have anything to do with the topic. So I don't think that that's even the conversation. But yeah, like I said, I think um, it's not U of T's responsibility. But I, even if that were the reason, I think saying that just doesn't really make any sense from like a PR standpoint. Yeah, either. there might be people that would benefit from implementing that, but don't necessarily support uh, another group that advocated it for it. Was it Hillel? Yeah, It was Hillel, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's... Jewish people that aren't members of Hillel or necessarily like that group, but would still like kosher food on campus. Mm-hmm. Well, I have friends that were actually part of the um, that kosher food drive. It was it was a it was a drive in support of bringing kosher food um, to U of T, and I have friends who were actually uh, part of that. So U of T has since uh, apologized for that, but they haven't addressed the anti-Semitism that prevailed. Um, so clearly just another day for the jews i don't know like what is anti-semitic 
the fact that Jews can't have kosher food because the group is pro-Israel. That's that was their sent that was their statement Aren't essentially. Are you pro-Israel? That doesn't mean that as a as a Jew I can't eat. You can't eat though. You just don't get to have food from like you don't. You're but the not university to U of T's cafeteria food. But U of T should de- should determine that based on if they can afford it, not based on political stances. I agree, but I I don't necessarily think that not having kosher food is anti-Semitic. In not having kosher food is not anti-Semitic, but the reasoning is anti-Semitic. The reasoning that because Hillel is pro-Israel, that Jews should not I be I allowed to have political. I don't. I don't. Well, think I that's call the that problem. It is anti-Semitic because if Jews cannot have kosher food because a cert, because the group is pro-Israel, th- there's no correlation. There's absolutely no correlation between the Israeli government and Judaism as a religion and Jude- Jewish dietary restrictions. So then how is it anti-Semitic if there's no correlation? Because they're making the correlation. How? By saying that it goes against the will of its members. So by having kosher food at U of T, it goes against the will of the members of uh, the U of T Student Union. I thought Union. it was bringing the motion forward when it went against the will because they were pro-Israel. Because you said like the students union doesn't decide if there's like they don't decide that do they? They don't have no they would so uh, they would just like they, bring the motion forward to have kosher food right to get a, so right I think that's what it was approval. that and that's the problem though and and let alone U of T has a whole committee dedicated to BDS which is anti-Semitic in itself but I the fact well BDS you understand what BDS is obviously or do yeah, you well yeah I don't maybe not as yeah much as you do but, but I think but, I do but yeah. Just the mere fact it's the only university that has that policy, um, even though Canada has made it, uh, has said they won't support anybody with uh, that, that give funds to anybody who supports BDS. But let alone going back to the original topic, the fact that U of T student union is conflating the Israeli government with Jewish dietary restrictions is a massive problem. There has been outrage everywhere. So I just think it's a major issue. It, it's personal to me, not that I am kosher, but it's just a matter of... Um, it. It's, it's discrimination. It goes against their anti-discrimination policy, U of T's own anti Well, is it discrimination because they don't have kosher food, or is it discrimination because they don't want to bring the motion forth to have kosher food because the group that wants to do it is pro-Israel? That, is that the discrimination? That one. It's so not discrimination being pro-Israel because... Israel isn't a protected status, though. So, wh- but being pro-Israel has nothing to do with being able to eat food. I agree, but I don't think it's discrimination. I it think is. It's just... It is because they're conflating the two. But if that's the, not if the, discrimination it is, is like a protected groups, like according to the Constitution, and being pro-Israel Jew- is not a protected group. Jews There's are a protected group, rounds. but Jews aren't pro-Israel. Like not all being a Jew does exactly. not necessarily mean- <laughs> exactly. That's the <laughs> point. But that's what U of T is conflating. They're conflating that because. All Jews are apparently pro-Israel. They can't have kosher food. That's the problem. I think it was the... Well, I, I don't think, think okay. I ever said that. I think these are like They're two, two separate issues subjects. Because I think the fact U, that they... Sorry. But I U of T is conflating the two. That's the problem. Yeah, I think the, the problem in doing that is messed up. But exactly. That's, all, that's the whole point I'm trying to make. Kosher food in itself is not a right that students should have. But the problem with U of T conflating uh, the Israeli government policies or being pro-Israel with the ability to eat food is a problem. I would th- I would think that does nobody else Sam? Yeah, I mean uh, to my understanding, people that live on residence. Uh, if I remember my time at UFT correctly. It was required that you have the meal plan, so I imagine there's at least a small population that has to eat at the cafeteria or pays a lot of money to have that mm-hmm. meal plan. Why wouldn't they yeah. be able to eat kosher food? Yeah. Well, let's move on to uh, the. 
we're just going to stay in Ontario, uh, but we're going to talk about the new teacher strike that's upcoming with the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. Uh, they are planning another strike, and the Minister of Education has said that the one thing that unites the Ford government, the Liberals, the New Democrats, uh, Bob Ray, uh, is teachers striking. Because everybody has experienced that. Amara, you're shaking your head. Tell yeah, us. Yeah, there have been a lot of strikes. Um, and the elementary school teachers, I think, voted to strike as well. as I think Catholic school teachers as well. So yeah. it's like not, not a good situation right now. I think um, all, like there have been strikes throughout all of these governments. But I think the volume of the strikes uh, says something about Doug Ford's government and mm-hmm. especially in relation to education. Well, because they know, well, at least I think they're hoping that that people will see their ju- their strikes as more justified because I think it's very popular to... I think they are more justified than they were in the past. Sure, but I'm just saying it from the, from the union's perspective. They can push forward more strikes because they'll think, they, they'll think they get more sympathy from voters and the general public because, uh, well, you can just assume that Ford is unreasonable so that the strikes are more, more common. Um, they, they should make public, like, the, that union or that sector... Uh, What's it called? A mandatory service, so they can limit the their ability to go on strikes. I think it's ridiculous. The teachers have so many great benefits, and they like, almost a quarter of the year they get off. Or, I don't think the teachers' unions are necessarily like these benevolent organizations that are looking out for students no, and not I, themselves. And at a all. lot of teachers disagree with the position. Yeah, of, the of course. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that, but I, mean, I do think that Doug Ford's treated them pretty awfully, especially compared to past premiers. Look at what he's doing to our students and our young population. Um, and yeah, most teachers, I'm not saying all, there's some bad teachers, but most teachers are in it for the betterment and the education of our youth. And if they're going to be greatly affected by the cuts and not being able to graduate in some situations, then yeah, the student, the teachers are going to strike on not only on their behalf, on like the teacher's, you know, rights to to get what they're, they're entitled to, but also on the behalf of, of students and their right to have a good and stable education, one where there's not cuts to liberal arts and there's not cuts to areas that are vital for the betterment and education of our future. I completely agree with the with with the issue with cuts to to certain parts of education, like liberal arts. Right? I mean, Jessica, you, you and agree I, with the no, cuts no, no, like with areas? that. There's a problem with it. That's what I mean. Sorry. Okay. I agree that that shouldn't be cut. Um, but what my question is now, te- just like everybody else, teachers have jobs. Is it fair that teachers have a problem with job cuts, whereas other forms of employment, they don't have the ability to, to protest job cuts? Or pe- It's not pe- the issue that we're really discussing right now. It's not. Well, that, one of their issues is job cuts. I, I know, but it's not that, oh, because other areas and other sectors in the business world they experience job cuts, you know, teachers should be able to, the teachers, you know, they should experience it too because all other individuals experience it as well. Um, that's not the the issue that we're talking about necessarily. Just because other sectors experience it doesn't mean that every sector possible should experience it. Nobody really in a, in a pure world should experience things like losing your job, especially after you gain seniority and things like that but that's also what comes into why teachers are unionized and why other uh, private sector areas or public sectors more or less are unionized is to protect those job cuts and teachers still do experience it it comes down to you know the whole seniority spectrum um 
so just because you know other areas experience it more doesn't mean that teachers should experience it more. And yeah, if they're unionized, then they should fight to have that as minimal as possible. Uh, private sector is not going to necessarily have that because a majority of those areas, like let's say a law firm example, they're not unionized. Lawyers aren't unionized. They legally can't be, I don't believe. Um, but if they experience job cuts and loss in partnership and things like that, you know, that's the way that the private sector works. Teachers are unionized. Teachers will probably always be unionized. Other areas of work that are unionized, yeah, they're going to have protections put in place to protect against losing jobs and losing seniority and losing things like that. And so that that's not an issue at all. Uh, it's, it's a good, it's a positive that they have that ability. And I think that it encourages stability within our within our teaching sector to know that these people have some form of job security and they're not just going to be uprooted and lost and which would have a detrimental effect again yeah. on our youth well what i'm asking though is not necessarily that teachers should experience all these job cuts but why should they be excluded from experiencing job because cuts? because they're influ because one like again they're unionized most unionized divisions have that protection but not only that they're unionized so that there's stability within our education system and our education and healthcare systems are the most vital backbone to our to our society and it's what you don't cut first there's other areas in which you can cut and you do not cut healthcare and you do not cut education education is the develop is the basis for for our youth and education is where you know, we create jobs and where we can create different uh, developmental sectors within our society. Um, and education is a right. Uh, the Education Act states that. Um, and, you know, in order to have that right, you're going to have to have individuals who are qualified and educated to be able to teach our future generations. But is having a job in the union a right? So I think, um, like going to your original question, it's it's because other like professions aren't unionized the way teachers are is why they can't fight as hard. Um, and I do think teachers, I think like people obviously have negative opinions towards teachers because they get summers off and they have good salaries and pensions and stuff like that. And their hours aren't as maybe long as anyone else's, but they're doing a really important job. Like if you have a child that's in school, they spend more time with their teacher than they do with you. So um, I don't think that we should necessarily like give teachers whatever they want all the time but they are really important they're also like mm. educating the next generation of and I think leaders the idea, sorry to interrupt you i think the idea that they don't work as hard they don't work as long as ours i think that's kind of a myth um a lot of the time they're in an hour two hours like the teachers that i know before the the bell rings and then they're there either after school ends doing either after school programs or just contributing to marketing to marketing marking um as well as after school tutoring programs so the teacher i mean i'm not saying that every teacher there's a lot of horrible teachers out there and i think a lot of us have experienced that personally personally but i don't think that's the majority and i think a lot of them are there for the betterment of child development and education and they will put in the extra hours and they will put in a lot more than what is um Necessary. Union required and what is yeah and what is necessary uh, and they'll stay after school and they'll put in more time to make sure that each each student is getting a fair and equal chance and and they're getting you know the education that they're entitled to so the idea that oh they only work nine to five um, that's you know when they have summers off uh, I think that's you know besides the summers off thing which I think they're entitled to and they deserve uh, I mean that's a lot that's really exhausting work. Um, the argument that they don't work as hard or they don't work as long as some individuals in the private sector is false. Do you think that they ask for too much or that they're... I don't think so. Do we know what they're asking for? Has anyone, like, 
Uh, they ask for a pay raise that's that's in that's in that coincides with inflation based on their past salaries, which is pretty good. Um, as well as to maintain, uh, I mean, they lost sick days. They're not allowed to bank sick days anymore. Um, so before, you know, uh, teachers would take early retirement because they would just yeah. never take their sick days, and then the la- they would have like a couple years of sick days stocked up, mm-hmm. and then they would take a they take they would retire at like sixty three instead of sixty five. Um, in the last, they'd still be in the payroll and everything because they're just using their sick yeah, days. Yeah, so they're still getting paid. So I think, um, I mean, I feel like that might have been a little bit an abuse of the system, um, and so. I mean, it could, there's arguments for that either way. They still think that they were entitled to those sick days. And if there wasn't anything stopping people from doing that, then, you know, people are going to do what they, what they want to do. Um, now, sick days, you get a certain amount allotted each year and you can't bank them, which I guess also encourages people to take them. So you're not going to have as much loyalty mm-hmm. within coming to work every day. So again, arguments on each side of the thing, uh, um, each side of the spectrum. But uh, no, they're not asking for much. They're asking for stability and they're asking for mainly uh, the cuts that Doug Ford's government is implementing not to greatly adversify mm-hmm. um, our youth. I feel like there's so much of a conflation with like what you were saying about it being a good, like it looking good for them to strike. Um, I think that happens a lot too because obviously the strike, like the the education cuts, not really anybody agrees with them, um, especially for the special needs programs and stuff like that. Yeah. So that gets to be conflated with like what they want for themselves as well in the strike. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like um, Doug Ford gave them a really good opportunity to bargain uh, hard, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to. Uh, so do you think there's going to be a strike? Do you think? That, yeah. Do you think so? Probably. I mean, I would support a strike. I think anything against Doug Ford is you know, <laughs> is needed. So. Sam. Yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably strike. I think people's goodwill is running out, and uh, yeah, I think attitudes towards teachers will probably change. For the good or bad? I feel like they've always been pretty negative. Mm-hmm. Like I remember. I, my think, I think they're becoming like more teachers. negative. I think I last like five years. Listen, if you talk to any teacher, like my sister's a teacher, you talk to anybody, like they're not going to deny that every time it's a teacher, ha- the teacher union has striked, it's been for good grounds. I mean, there's been a lot of like kind of okay. You know, probably shouldn't strike. Like, shouldn't have gone on strike for that, but they did. But um, the common consensus about this one in particular is that they have a lot of support from the general public, and there are solid grounds to be able to go on strike. Um, and there's reason to. It's not like oh, we're just in it for whatever kind of fluff that kind of had some iffy, uh, iffy backbone to it. But this one, there's like a, there's a there's a lot of severity at at risk. Uh, there's a lot. It's a very it's a very serious thing that's going on, mm-hmm. and um, there's not just the support from the teachers' union, which not a lot of the time, you know, some of the teachers don't even support. Uh, it's it's support from all from all angles. So you have your teachers, and you have you know your QB workers, and right. as well you have uh, public yeah consensus. Um, so clearly, the consensus is that there most likely is going to be a strike. Uh, but let's move on to our final uh, update of the week, which is that Chick-fil-A has halted donations to two uh, Christian charities that have been or are uh, anti or don't support same-sex marriage. Um, What do you think of that? Um, I think, I mean, I don't really have any opinions on it. Uh, That was obviously a big issue for them. There was a lot of protests when the Chick-fil-A opened in Toronto and Mm -hmm. uh, they decided to stop donating to those organizations. I don't really like... They, they you know, tell you. 
Sorry? I don't know. I think, any, I don't, I think anybody should really support that organization. They've done it for so long, and that's been, like, the backbone of of their business is, you know, close on Sundays. We're a Catholic, yeah. we're a Catholic business and we're going to donate to organizations that harm LGBTQ communities. I think the whole reason why they stopped is because there'd been an uproar, but if there wasn't an uproar and even there was, there's been uproar for quite some time mm-hmm. uh, and they had no plans to do anything about it. Um, so they say now that they're going to stop and they're going to halt donations, but that doesn't mean that, you know, somewhere in the books that they're still going to be donating it. And the CFO right. and CEO and the leaders of that corporation, they're still, you know, based in, in homophobia. So I don't know if you really do support that the LGBTQ community. I don't really see how you could support that organization still, regardless of the fact that they've stopped allegedly donating. Do you think, though, that aside from the anti-LGBTQ uh, part, when you mentioned closed on Sundays, Catholic organization, do you think that's a problem for a company? I don't think it's a problem for a company. I think it's a problem when they use their religious views to harm minorities. Yeah, I think uh, they can do what they want. I mean, yep. they're making less money by not being open on Sunday. So if they decide to do that, that's their right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, I don't really know how much... Uh, of a, like obviously there was a difference that was made because they decided to stop donating but I don't know if it's fair to say that if you support the LGBTQ community especially now you can't go there because I don't know like if we really looked at all of the businesses that we give money to every day I'm sure that most of them have some problematic views or donations I'm sure but like if that. you're totally aware and you 100% know that Chick-fil-A is is supporting these organizations and first off in toronto especially a lot of ryerson students it's really out of your way to go there so like you know make it go to mcdonald's go somewhere else which you know there's yes. controversy around them as well chick-fil-a uh, is like 100 times better than mcdonald's that's the difference okay yeah so the of course novelty, you eat there but anyway the novelty of american um, fast I've, food I've gone twice <laughs> and it was wonderful okay. but here's the thing i also I know i know i know uh, people who are gay who identify as lgbtq that eat at chick-fil-a what do you say well, about that they're like uh Listen. Things that have happened that have been not the nicest to black people, and I know a lot of people, or me myself, like I can't think of anything off. Like and Justin the people Trudeau, that I'm you sure know, a lot of black people voted for. I him know who you're referring to, mm-hmm. and you can't base the whole entire universe's LGBTQ no, community. That's not what I'm doing. But the, but you but your it's, statement was that anybody who goes there doesn't support LGBTQ. That's what I I'm think, saying. No, so I'm, but I, I'm, I'm not I, saying that they don't support them. I think that it's, you know, it's an ethical choice to not go there and not to go to an organization where you know supports uh, it supports organizations that um, are discriminatory to our LGBT communities. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not a difficult choice to say, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to spend my money somewhere else. And you can use that argument for anything. No, I'm not going to go to H&M because it's fast fashion and it's bad for the environment. I'm going to go to a more sustainable and environmentally friendly corporation. You can use that argument for anything. It comes down to the ethical and easy choices that you can implement into your daily life. So, I mean, I'm not saying that LGBT members are going to Chick-fil-A and they're not supporting their communities. I mean, I don't think that it is a good way to put your money, mm-hmm. a place to put your money if you're especially part of that community and you know the controversy behind it. Uh, but that's not just, I, I think that's for anybody. If you're aware of what this corporation does and the views that they hold um, ethically, and oh, Samuel, you like this, morally speaking, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't support, and you shouldn't spend money 
I think that's and a pretty give your high, money to those to those organizations. I, I think it's a pretty high standard to have because uh, it's not that hard. No, because to well, say I'm not going to spend five bucks on a chicken sandwich. It's a very and, good chicken sandwich, <laughs> but like the lithium in your laptop, I'm sure at some point was extracted using exploitative labor in uh, East Asia. Does that mean we shouldn't? Uh, I said simple choices that can help you. That's a very simple So no, so I can't use any laptop, and I'm not going to be able to have any contact with our very high, fast-paced um, and technology-connected world. I can't use a laptop. I'm saying, there, even when we had this conversation on environmentalism and things like that. Yeah, it's hard to make huge environmental impacts and we're not going to, st- I mean, even if we, you know, slowly stop using our fossil fuel industries and we start going into more green technology, that'd be a long process to get away from the damage that we're doing. But it comes down and this is like the over-encompassing thing with, with anything in my view is if you can make little changes within your life that have some sort of impact realistically and logically, then why shouldn't you be able to do that? Buying a computer, yeah, there's going to be huge, there's probably going to be environmental impacts of it or, you know, ethical impacts of it. Even when, you know, one day this computer stops working and I throw it out, there's going to be environmental implications. Unfortunately, you have to go, that, that's something that is, that is considered a necessity in today's day and age. So you have to find other areas where you can kind of contribute environmentally, globally, ethically, whatever, to, um, to systems and to organizations that will have some sort of positive impact on the world that we're living in. Mm-hmm. Not everybody out there can do every single thing possible to, I mean, realistically as much as you know i personally would love to and a lot of people would love to realistically you can't regardless of like let's say your socioeconomic status or just social status or whatever you can't do everything humanly possible to uh to make some detrimental or you know big impact change right well it's still going to be an issue for uh some people while others will continue to eat at chick-fil-a regardless anything Yeah, exactly. But uh, let's move on to, uh, finally, our main story, which is police brutality. Police brutality is defined as the use of excessive physical assault or verbal assault during police procedures, such as apprehending or interrogating a suspect. Deadly force is not always excessive force. However, when deadly force exceeds the force that is necessary to create a safe environment, it is considered police brutality. In the past few years, the subject has become far more prominent in the media with the inception of the Black Lives Matter movement in the United States, followed by one in Canada. The topic has come to light once more following a news article reported uh, recently this week, actually, that a Toronto police officer and his brother were jointly charged with aggravated assault in the incident that eventually caused DeFonte Miller to lose his left eye back in 2016. They were also separately charged with obstruction of justice for the way they portrayed the uh, incident, rather, to investigators. On today's show, we talk about the inner workings of policing in Canada and and racial, excuse me, and racial bias. Does it exist? And if so, how can we combat it? As a reminder, we are live on Facebook, so make sure to comment on our feed to have your thoughts read live on air. So we're going to start with our Facebook poll, and we asked our viewers whether they thought uh, systemic racism, uh, whether there is systemic racism in policing. Now, we had 104 respondents, actually, which is amazing. So thank you to everybody that responded. Uh, And of that, uh, 81 
people said that yes, there is systemic racism in policing, and 23 people said no. Uh, percentage wise, that would be. Let's see. I can't really. Uh, 78% and 22% uh, no. 78% yes, 22% no. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts? Um, so the is there systemic racism in, in policing? policing? Yeah. So in Canada, we actually don't, or it might not be, it might just be Toronto, but I think it's um, all of Canada in terms of like the justice system and stuff. Um, and I know Toronto police don't keep racial statistics, so you can't actually like use the police stats a lot or easily to see if there's a racial disparity. But I'm looking at um, a study done, and uh, it said that he reviewed special investigations unit investigations between 2013 and 2017, and used notes, photographs, and reports um, to identify the race of the inv individuals involved. And um, black people are overrepresented, at least in Toronto, from what this says in um, police Mm -hmm. um, investigations and just interactions with police. So, um, and I think just overall, um, it's kind of clear that there is sort of, uh, there is systemic racism in policing. Black people in the States as well tend to be overrepresented in policing and get, you know, harsher sentences and stuff like that when they do get to court. Mm -hmm. Sam? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure police have biases, especially with how they approach people based on their previous encounters. Um, again, it's very, like Amara said, it's very difficult to get that this type of information because uh, precincts in Canada don't like to even use racial descriptions when describing suspects. So you can imagine that aggregate data would not be as detailed as well. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I would say bias is definitely based on previous experience or the experience of their coworkers would affect how they approach certain types of people. Yeah. Do you think that uh, police officers differ from the general public? Are they held to a higher standard in Canada? Do you mean higher standard than cops in the States or higher standard than civilians? Than civilians. Uh, yeah, and, and I think they should be. They are given authority. They have, Canada does not have, uh, like most people don't have guns. It's not as big of a deal here in the States just to like personally own a gun. So most of the times cops are the only ones in their interactions with weapons like firearms and they have the authority to detain you to arrest you to literally like take your liberty away so i think they are held to a higher standard and they absolutely should be yeah that's infringing on a human right there so yeah illegal imprisonment well so in terms of uh racial bias and such how do an officer's personal values influence the way they enforce the law well i hope that nobody's like has racist personal values but um it's clear that i mean obviously some people do um I, I, if you have racist ideas yourself, you're probably going, like those are probably going to color the way that you police. Yeah. So if you have an idea that black people, usually black men especially, are criminals or are dangerous, then you're probably going to be more aggressive or at least more suspicious of them in your work as a police officer than you would with other people. Mm -hmm. Sam? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with that. Well... In uh, going back again once more to uh, racial bias, how does age, gender, socioeconomic class, and race affect police? You talked about a little about prejudice and and the way they judge, but um, is there training in place that can change their views? Like I know there's sensitivity training and whatnot. Uh, do you think that really has an impact on policing? Do you think that uh, it should be mandatory? Do you think it works? Um. 
I don't know if it works. I do think it should be mandatory, which is kind of a contradiction. But I think that um, they should definitely be paying attention to sensitivity. And I, you don't really have to be sensitive to racists. You just don't have to be racist. Like, you don't really have to be sensitive to um, visible minorities when policing them. You just kind of, like, police them the same way that you would police anybody else. Um, and I think, like, this kind of can connect to the whole Don Cherry controversy. A lot of people are saying he's 85, he's old, he says things. Um, if you have somebody like that put policing, probably not many 85-year-old cops, but older people, um, I'm sure that can affect them. And I think uh, they should definitely be, uh, as much as the police organizations can, should try to uh, keep them up to date, I guess, with the world and society. Mm-hmm. Sam? I think the only thing they should be aware of is... Uh Maybe the type of neighborhood they're going into, if there's a greater propensity for violence, maybe their behavior might change. Uh, maybe they're more cautious, but uh, like on, individ- on an individual basis, uh, uh, you can't eliminate the biases that an individual might have, even if we hold police officers to a higher standard, which I believe we should. Um, I guess there's, there could be training that could be done, but uh, I, I think it's only human that they would form those biases, yeah. Now, you said uh, it depends on the communities they're going into. So let's yep. talk about community policing. What are your thoughts on the that form of policing? Do you think it works? Do you think that it is racist? Do you think that... How would it be racist? Based on the neighborhoods. Like if you have a black cop policing a black neighborhood? Or just more cops in a certain neighborhood? Well, that's not necessarily community policing. That's like the issue with people say black um, neighborhoods are over-policed. Because, you know, cops are just there more often, which could also contribute to the over-representation of black people in crime stats. Um, But I think community policing in general, like having somebody who maybe not is necessarily from that community, but from a community like it or is familiar with the community would be effective. Because I think there's a very big barrier between cops and civilians right now. And I think um, bridging that by having a sense of community between them would help with a lot of the um, confrontations that we see happening. So that would that be done by officers? Maybe I don't know way, the, how they patrol around the city now. How what jurisdiction they have? But would that be done by, say, an officer staying in a certain area for a longer period of time or yeah. in excess of years, so they get to know their community? Or maybe you know, instead of just patrolling like in a car, talking to the community. Um, if you have like, for example, like a Toronto police officer who's from a certain community, maybe having them police that community instead of another one. Um, I think something like that would be effective. Yeah. Now, in general, how do citizens view police and vice versa? Is it a positive uh, view of police? Is it a negative view? I think just we've obviously seen that, uh, you know, the Canadian police aren't as violent or they don't have the they don't have the the likelihood that they use violence uh, is a lot less in the States. And we discussed earlier before the show started how the number of fatalities involved in shootings in Canada is significantly lower per capita than the U.S. So I think maybe a lot of that distrust could be that uh, Canadians are engrossed in U.S. media and the shootings happen there and the police brutality that happens there. And they may apply that same descriptor towards Canadian police, which I don't think is uh, apropos. Like I've never had a negative interaction with the police. And I, don't I don't think it's you okay, that would be okay, having okay. interactions I knew, I knew the, the second police. I was going to say that. Um, the truth. But I, I, even if I try to recall myself, I don't remember seeing many stories about police brutality outside a couple instances within Toronto in the last decade. But 
I think people should be not distrustful, but they should be wary of police in the sense that uh, I think it's likely that they could infringe on your your rights. And I think there's more than enough evidence that they will if they think they can get away with it. And I think that's responsible. It's the responsibility of citizens to know their rights uh, and to uh, not be taken advantage of. And that's important. I agree with the knowing your rights. Um, but I think that genuinely, uh, with in terms of like distrust with police, me personally, I've never had a negative interaction with cops, but my brother has. So I don't, I think it does depend on uh, as much as I hate identity, like going into politics, I think it does depend on your identity because I think black men are more likely to have negative interactions with cops than black women or other races. Like well, I, know. I think that is. Because I think their uh, police hold biases towards black men. I think that they're um, more likely to be criminals and doing bad things. Like I know my father and my brother have both had negative interactions with police and they're not criminals and weren't committing crimes at those times. So I think the racial bias um, is probably why minority communities don't have a good... Do you think those are systemic or they're uh, based on stories they've heard from their uh, co-workers or maybe things they've observed you know while on patrol while on duty well i think both i think uh, also as a, as a cop you observing one person doing something should mm-hmm. not mean that you paint a whole community sure but i mean this is their so. entire job i'm sure they they don't make those type of decisions based on one individual well i hope not but no. again i think that um regardless of how many people it is i think to approach a new situation with a new person negatively or aggressively because of something that's happened in the past it's just bad policing in my opinion um, and I do think that some of it has to do with systematic racism. I think that black communities are traditionally over-policed. Um, like in the States, you see black black and white kids use weed at the same rates, but black people tend to be arrested more for marijuana possession. I don't think, like it's because cops are more present in their communities. I don't think you can really argue with that. So I think that is a racial bias. Do you think that uh, this... Uh Going in with an open mind or or going in calmly should apply to uh, the citizens as well. So if somebody is stopped, uh, if somebody has a traffic stop, do you think that not only the cop should come in with an open mind and not necessarily with their racial bias, but so should the, the person being stopped? You can't. Like You should not approach a cop aggressively. It's probably not going to end well for you considering they have authority. But again cops are the authority so they have the responsibility to act accordingly and i don't think somebody like if they're if you're aggressive they're probably going to use the force that they need to use in order to do what they have to do and i don't have any problems with that it's just when it's excessive the best way to approach any kind of interaction with the police is to be polite and respectful uh but at the same time don't let them walk over walk all over you if especially if they're um infringing on your rights um that's not to say become violent or resist arrest if it comes to that but um uh, afterwards, you can take the appropriate legal measures if something inappropriate has happened. But in the moment, you have to understand that police are told that anything could happen in, say, a traffic stop. I mean, violence can escalate very, very quickly. I'm sure you've seen lots of videos. I know I have. Um, so understanding that's very important. But yeah, don't don't let yourself be walked over. And let's so let's say that. Your your rights are walked over at a traffic stop, or a police officer stops you. Then you want to go file a complaint. Do you feel that police uh, really take uh, 
internal compl- or internal complaints or issues with their own officers seriously. No, because I'm I'm yeah. sure there's a sense of camaraderie. Um, if you well, they were, call it the blue wall of silence. Yeah. So. Yeah, if 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 you were really serious, you'd get a lawyer, and if it was that big of an issue, I'm sure that it would be resolved that way. That can be found in any industry, though. Even like you know, you're working a part time job. You're gonna take the side of. Uh, um, you're, you're, let's say you're working at Starbucks, you're going to take the side of, you know, whatever person is making coffee with you over the side of the cu- the customer. It's just, it's a sense of camaraderie. It's, you know that they would do it for you. And um, it's, a, you know, you don't even have to go to like covering up something. It could just go to that sense of community, which it can be found in any workforce. So, yeah, I mean... It's that's just why a bigger I think, deal. I, I think ideally if there was complaints going in, that should go to like an unbiased source that can look at it with uh, unbiased viewpoints and unbiased eyes. Um, it's like the SIU. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I don't know how unbiased that could be, but if it is, then yeah, I don't think any, if they're dealing with a super serious complaint, um, regardless of who the person is going to be receiving the claim, the complaint, I think that there's just going to be some, even if it's subliminal or, or subconscious, there's going to be some bias held. In favor of the the wrongful party. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's. We should necessarily trust the department in question to self govern or self self police themselves. I mean, um, the judicial system is separate from the legislative body and the in the government because we understand that the government can't <laughs> necessarily regulate itself all the time if there are abuses of power. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think no internal complaints probably mean nothing. If you go through the justice system, though, aren't there issues with the justice system as well? Yeah, with like racial um, just disparities, I guess. Yeah, there are. And I think it's the same idea um, with the Mm self-policing. Like there have been many instances of cops um, or correctional officers in prisons acting uh, in ways that they shouldn't be and abusing people and assaulting people. And nothing really happens because they're investigating themselves, basically. Mm -hmm. And in terms of abusing people and investigating themselves, let's talk about the case that was mentioned at the top of the show, which was about DeFonte Miller. Um, do you want to run us through what exactly happened? So from what I believe happened, um, this happened in 2016. The yeah. trial is just happening now. So he was walking. I think it happened in uh, Pickering, I believe, like in Durham region. Mm-hmm. And he was he lost his eye. So he was just, he was walking past uh, a house and these two brothers were in, one of them was a cop, were in the garage and they said they heard a door slam and their father's truck had been broken into recently. So they assumed it was him because they saw them walking past and they uh, assaulted him. Like they beat him very badly and it ended up, he ended up losing his left eye. And the the two sides are that the brothers say that he had a pipe and he was and he hit uh, the cop's brother uh, on the head with a pipe. But Defonte and his legal team uh, say that he never actually had a pipe and he was never in a position to attack. Um, what's what's the verdict right now? So they have been charged. They're on trial. I believe the trial is going on now, which is why it's um, back in the news. Mm-hmm. So with. With issues like this, uh, let's talk about oversight in the moment. Do you think that uh, technology uh, will play a a better role in um, crime scene investigation? You know, we've seen a lot of dash cam video of cops shooting shooting citizens or citizens shooting cops. uh, And many times that footage is manipulated or 
um, used for different purposes. Do we feel that technology does help? Uh, yeah, I think every police officer and their vehicle should be should be full of cameras. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they serve the, at the public's leisure, the public's will, um, they should trust the public enough to show exactly what they're doing. I mean, there's nothing... If they're not doing anything wrong, and we grant them this authority to kill if necessary, it's akin to the military, but with your own citizens. So, uh, yeah, why not? And if it better, if it punishes or makes maybe officers more apprehensive in you know committing a sense of committing acts of brutality inappropriately, then yeah, um, why wouldn't you? Why I would just- you pose it? Wanted to mention, sorry, that the um, Dur- neither the Durham or Toronto police units uh, notified the SIU for months after, so there was a big um, mishandling there where they mm. didn't really pass it on, and it was obviously something that should have been passed on. Now let's talk about fighting back because, as as you've just mentioned, they the police withheld it from SIU. Let's talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, um, which started in the U.S. Um, what are your thoughts on the movement? The idea was to protect black lives from innocent killings by police, but is that what it is now, or has it become more than that, positively or negatively? I haven't heard really anything about Black Lives Matter in the U.S. recently. Um, I think starting out, especially in the States, there was you know a period where it was just like case after case in the media of unarmed black men being shot. Um, and killed by cops. So I think definitely there should have been some sort of movement for that. Um, in Toronto, I think it got a little bit perverted, especially when they stopped Pride and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in Canada, it doesn't seem that the violence with cops tends to be fatal as often. I think that just is because most people don't have guns here, so it doesn't need to escalate that far usually, um, or the cops aren't afraid of for their lives. Uh, but there is, you know, there are there is police violence towards people. So I think there could have been some sort of advocate advocacy organization but i don't know if they handled it well um there's also a lot of black on black violence in Mm -hmm. urban areas and i think that that should have been they should have dealt with that as well now with what with what you mentioned of uh black oops black lives matter uh stopping pride parade they made uh a controversy about not having cops attend yeah. uh pride uh jessica let's go to you what do you think about that should cops be allowed to attend pride in uniform um in canada or in the states canada canada well yeah because the controversy was in canada yeah um honestly the thing is they're gonna be there anyway right <laughs> Like, just not in uniform? Um, well, no, they have to oh, be there to patrol, yeah, and, right. you know, there could be acts of violence uh, be from hate groups and whatever. Um, I do understand saying no to them being there, um, especially if there's just such high violence against uh, black communities, against, um, and even, like, especially when last year, when um, Bruce MacArthur, when that whole case came about and how the co- uh, like Toronto police were aware of the fact that there was a serial killer within the gay community uh, and, and somebody attacking gay members of um, the Toronto community. Um, and they were aware of that, yet they didn't do anything about it until literally it, you know, it, it was too late. And there was um, so many victims that were were you know, victims of, uh, of the serial killer. Um, in that instance, um, 
no, I don't think that they should attend, uh, especially for something like the Pride Parade when there is such a, you know, there was such negligence and uh, neglect over um, over just, you know, your basic police work and what they should have been investigating. For Black Lives Matter, again, I mean, I totally see why saying no for them being there. Um, I get it. Um, I don't I don't really feel like I have the fine have a have an opinion on whether that's okay or whether it's not okay because I totally understand the argument for why they shouldn't be there and why a lot of people don't want them there um comes down to you know systemic violence and stuff like that and, and, and holding your own like police officers holding uh wrongful biases um so no I don't necessarily think I should be the one I really have an opinion in that matter because uh, I too I do totally see both sides of the argument um but if it was your opinion it's just your opinion your thoughts should they I be don't allowed? really have one like i don't know i don't honestly if I, you were the decision maker that's not gonna happen <laughs> so why am i gonna answer hypothetical because that's part of what we do we think hypothetically not it's not my situation to judge in it's not my i'm not a member of either of those communities i haven't i haven't been affected by systemic violence or systemic racism or systemic homophobia um i do see their side and i would support honestly yeah if they if you want to hypocrite then i would support uh both communities and in, in their fight against not having them there okay but again it's not my decision to say yes no uh but my support would go with them with them with, yeah, them. with the minorities sam what do you think should cops be allowed I don't really care at all for pride, so I think. Uh, uh, um, I don't really care. I mean, should they be though? Hypothetically, (laughs) should they be there? Should they be allowed to march in pride in uniform? I think. Sorry to interrupt, (laughs) but I think it's up to Pride. Like Pride is an organization, right? Like Toronto Pride, so. I don't know if Black Lives Matter Toronto went about it the right way. Um, I don't necessarily think they should have like stopped the parade and all of that. But I do think that if Pride Toronto decides that they don't want police, they're uh, marching in uniform, then that's their decision. And if they do, they do. Like I, I think that's up to the organization. And what do you think? Um, I don't really like. I, I I don't really have an opinion. I feel like it doesn't really matter that much. Like Jessica said, there are going to be cops there anyway because they have to be because it's such a big event. Um, and any gay cop who that was that's what i was gonna ask who wants to march i feel like they will anyway um i'm not sure if there's a lot of people who are gay and really really want to march in uniform um sucks for them that they can't now but uh yeah i feel like if you're if you're gay and you're gonna go march in pride you're gonna do that anyway whether or not you're a cop and they're gonna be cops there to protect people so i don't think it's that big of an issue which is another like sorry another problem i have with black lives matter toronto i feel like they just focus on things that aren't real issues so i don't think that was necessarily a huge issue to focus on what other uh, issues do you think they focus on that aren't issues? Well, um, that was mainly the main one. I just wish Black Lives Matter focused more on um, the black community as well, rather than just the black community versus the police. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about then uh, bla- the principal idea of Black Lives Matter was to protect black people from being innocently killed. Um, Now, the number of lawsuits filed against police has increased over the past 25 years. Why do you think that is? Do you think that part of that has been because of Black Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter has tailed off of that? Uh, But in general, why has there been such an increase? I think they're connected. Um, I think people knowing their rights more just because of the internet, I think has also made that happen a lot. I'm sure that um, 
before like before 25 years ago it was probably worse um the black interactions with cops but i think with the internet and stuff like that people know their rights more um so they know they have grounds for a lawsuit more people know that so i think that's why that's happening jessica uh totally um i think if you are aware of uh what has been done to you and how that is so not only unethical and um you know problems with that but totally illegal then yeah you're gonna have your grounds to sue as well as with the rise of social media and knowing that you're going to like seeing other people's cases that may be similar to yours uh, and seeing their legal outcome it's going to give you motivation to fight for your rights um, and feel that you have especially if it's can't if it's in Canada then you have your case law precedent so you feel like you have solid solid grounds and the potential of having the same outcome of another individual who has experienced the same systemic racism as you going back 25 years ago um if we were in like if like the amount of case I'm, I'm, i agree with you amara that it was probably a lot worse 25 years ago than it is today um uh, which shows that there has been some progress not nearly as much as we need but there has been some progress i think if there was the same level of education about individual rights human rights as well as a social media spectrum where people could understand um what has what other people have gone through and how they've handled it and how they've dealt with the whole legal and application uh, legal spectrum of things um, as well as you know having access to basically any uh, court doctrine then I think there would have been just as equal if not more uh, cases within the court system regarding um, regarding this topic uh, but that obviously wasn't the case so I you know I think the how many however many that we're seeing in court right now is pretty relevant and it shows you know that people do have rights, and if you're gonna if you're going to be infringed infringed upon, um, you do have the grounds to be able to uh, to fight for um, the problems that you're facing. And just to kind of end off the discussion, um, due to the fact that there have been more lawsuits, and if people feel more able to or empowered to um, fight for for justice. Do you see an improvement in policing in Canada, uh, especially with uh, the chief of police now being black? Um, do you think that that helps? I don't think the chief of police necessarily being black helps. He's not, you know, every cop patrolling on the streets, so mm-hmm. not really. Um, but I, I don't know. I think, I hope, I would think that cops are probably a little bit more conscious of the things that they say and do because everyone has a phone now. Um, but I don't know. Sam? Do Toronto police, uh, I don't think they have body cams, do no, they? No, they don't. They should. I don't think they do, though. No. I think they should. I think mean, that's the best way. Well, people say it's expensive. Oh, that's bullshit. I mean, <laughs> think, about, think about it this way. How much money would they save in unjust, from the police perspectives, lawsuits versus just no, I agree. fucking dash cams on their chest? I mean, I mean if, if it is really expensive, then I would agree with either, I guess it'd be the municipal government mm-hmm. allocating more money so they can purchase those things. Do you think that dash cams infringe, or not dash cams, body cams infringe on people's rights, Jessica? No, the legally, officers? No, 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 no. Legally, as long as one person um, who is either filming or recording something is totally aware that there is recording going on, there is no infringement of right, regardless if the other person knows or not. So I'm allowed to legally record this conversation between Amara and I, if we're having a conversation, as long as the party in the conversation is aware that there is um, 
recording going on, so I, that would be me. I'm aware that I'm recording it. Mm-hmm. She has no grounds to come after me after a privacy invasion. And the issue would be civilians that the police interact with. I feel like they would and like there that there was yeah. a body cam yeah. because um, if anything happens, there'll be evidence of it. But even so, many times the the footage is manipulated. So yeah, what, they turn off their mics or their body cams. Yeah, um, just at some point. For example... I mean, then this, it this, then it should be thrown out if you know like if you know something has been tampered with happened like why would you turn off your well, that's a cam? tacit admission that you're yeah. doing you're about to do something, something wrong bad. And, and that that should be that should weigh in on the decision that the court makes i think i agree mm-hmm. like it just let it run yeah why would you turn it off if there was nothing that you had to hide yeah and what happens though if it did accidentally turn off and the cop is innocent well that's you know court Mm. That would, and you can would, find if something. Would argue yeah. that. Sorry. You can look at technology and, and see um, the interface, and if it just turned off because of like actual technical failure, yeah. or, or if somebody tampered with it. So you know, if it was tampered with, that looks bad on you. If it wasn't, then you're going to have to go to the more traditional sources to figure out what course of action to take. Mm-hmm. And lastly, do you think that the future of policing in Canada has improved? What kind of uh, changes or improvements do you see hope happening um well i think body cams would be a really good thing i think every cop should have a body cam on them um i think that's all you can really hope for you know you hope that the people who are becoming cops as we move on are more socially aware and again you don't have to be socially aware or sensitive just not racist it's not really a big ask so um i hope that with i guess more diversity and stuff like that. People are more exposed to people of different backgrounds and they're not racist when they become cops. <laughs> Jessica? I'd have to say the same thing. Um, I, I think racism and um, homophobia and all, you know, the areas of discrimination, they come from, and I think I've said this before, they come from an area of ineducation um, and ignorance, exactly. So, you know, you have to start with education and not necessarily just sensitivity training but start with education on those areas um, and then to hope to see a uh, a reduction in in um, in areas of, of violence against uh, targeted groups and Sam uh, I would like body cameras uh, implemented uh, I think that's the best and quickest way you could you know decrease pre- police brutality or violence mm-hmm well, that's that's our show for this week. Uh, clearly, we kept things civil, you know, as our like civil duty. Like you should duty. do when you approach police officers. Or when and they approach you. They should do when they approach you. Yeah, but they have the gun. Pick your yeah. battles. Of course. That's what I'm saying. Just, just bring the battle to court after. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And, well, and that's where we end off, actually. Uh, that was our show for this week. Thank you to everyone that tuned in. Uh, and completed our poll 104 people that's huge thank you to every single person uh brand new episode of the rabbit report will be coming to you next week same day same time same people have a great day everyone